finance business partners in particular should create impact for, for the business they're supporting by creating better business results by having satisfied business customers. You say as AI, machine learning, robotics, RPA, whatever, helps us automate a lot of the things that we would manually do in finance. It frees up time to do the, the data extrapolation, the analysis, the finding the right insights, but it should also hopefully give us time to actually go and talk to the business, understand their needs, be able to present and tell that story behind the numbers. So hello and welcome to Tech for Finance, where we help finance teams leverage technology to support their ambitions as businesses and as individuals. I'm your host, Adam Shilton, and in this episode, we're going to be chatting with Christian Franz Hansen from the Business Partnering Institute, whose customers include the likes of PayPal, HSBC, PNG, and many others. Christian is the Director of Finance Business Partnering, Learning and Development, and he has a background of consulting within the CFO services space, having worked for companies such as EY and the Implement Consulting Group. Christian has over 15,000 followers on LinkedIn and is an expert in finance transformation and business process optimization. So thanks. Thanks for coming and joining me today, Christian. Thank you so much, Adam. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. So to start off, I mean, for anybody that's curious, do you mind telling us a little bit more about how you got into doing what you do? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'm let's let's start with the basics. You know, I'm um, I'm actually a very traditional introverted finance nerd, to be honest, who uh, who got to work in a much more extroverted environment than uh, than I initially anticipated, to be honest. So I, uh, I, I did always explore sort of the space between data and decision-making. I've always been, you know, enticed by the idea that you can find the needle in the haystack and come up with better solutions based on, on, on proper data analysis. So I spent uh, some time, you know, getting a master's degree in finance and uh, performance management from from, from, from Copenhagen Business School and, and Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, and later did an MBA focusing very heavily on finance as well from two other universities. So I, I ended up spending quite some years uh, on, on four different universities in, on four different continents uh, and, and studying a lot, you know, that space of, of data and decision-making. And when I then became a professional. I started in the National Bank of Denmark doing, you know, hardcore financial modeling and really trying to extract insights from data and doing, doing all the basics of, you know, really getting into to, to data modeling, but soon became a consultant with EY afterwards, also exploring finance, performance management, and, and that space, working in Scandinavia and uh, following a girl to South Africa, working out of Cape Town and Johannesburg for, for some time. Luckily, it panned out. She's now my wife, and we have two lovely kids. So, uh, so, but uh, when I then returned, I, I joined another company, Implement Consulting Group, continuously working in the space with the finance uh, and performance management. But, you know, I've become more and more um, focused on the people side of finance as well, because, you know, initially it was all about the data crunching. But in the end, without the people being able to communicate the story behind the numbers, all that data crunching is a little futile, if you will. So, so that's that's how I ended up, you know, working with 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 the people side of finance. And today, I'm I'm heading large scale learning programs specifically aimed at 
upskilling people in the finance space, both, you know, focusing on heart and mind, you know, both mindset and toolset, but uh, much more than data analysis. Today, it's more about, you know, me working with the finance people, changing their mindsets, hopefully for the better. So, yeah. Very good. And th- thank you for that. So, um, no, no, it's, it's great. And uh, I mean, I, I can't even imagine how much experience that you, you managed to gain, not just from obviously the different companies you've worked with, but from the places across the world you've been to. All right. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit jealous, I must say. Um, I've only been over to um, Asia once or twice. Um, so, no, it's, it's interesting. But last time we spoke, I think you were on the way to, was it Brazil? Actually, get. Mexico to be, Mexico. Uh, to be, yeah. Okay, be very good. C- can you tell us a little bit more about that? I mean, you don't have to go into specifics over the customer or anything like that, but can you tell us a little bit more about the trip and what you covered and that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, the uh, the companies I service as a, as a consultant today are often very big global companies having finance people in multiple locations worldwide. Uh, so, so when we launch large-scale learning and development programs, it's, it's often, you know, bringing people together, also sometimes doing virtual training as well. But in this case, it's, it's a Mexican client, but, but obviously with a presence globally. So, so in, that, in that case, we, we went to Mexico to do an off-site training session for, for two days with, with the entire uh, client team and their CFO. So, um, but, but getting to that point is, is kind of the, it's, it's a long road down, down to that point. We started out more than six months ago working on their finance strategy, working on the role of a finance business partner in their company, what they see as, as you know, the, the important aspects of that role. Then we designed a uh, competency model that kind of supports the, the role of a finance business partner and help them carry out a self-assessment, even kind of a 360 assessment, getting feedback from the business as well on on how the team, the, the team of finance business partners, how it's how it was doing, uh, and based on that self-assessment and that insight from the business on how they were doing, we designed a uh, six-month learning journey, comprised of several training sessions, but also a lot of on-the-job stuff, a lot of e-learning, self-study, other means of, of learning. So it's kind of a blended learning journey, and that's what we we kicked off in, in kicked off in Mexico last week. Yeah. Very good, and and it's. It's good, I think, that we're now getting to the point where we are having more face-to-face interaction again. You know, I, I, I don't want to talk about what's happened because, you know, ho- hopefully we're we're getting out the, the back of it now. But um, you mentioned blended model there. I'm seeing a lot more of that at the moment. So, so I'm assuming, obviously, you're not going to want to go for, over to Mexico for every single conversation, right? But but having stuff like, you know, Zoom teams and that sort of stuff, I, I suppose, supports that blended model. And you mentioned e-learning as well. Do you find that work, that works? To be honest, I've been very skeptical, skeptical about e-learning for a long time. But I have done uh, quite a lot of e-learning with, with, with large international companies, uh, including General Motors and others. And, and done right, I see it working, but it should not stand alone. So, so again, that's why I talk about blended learning. Mm. E-learning is a, is a brilliant way to get some, some, some simple information, insights across, especially if you make it interactive, but it, it shouldn't be a standalone. Nobody really changes their behavior and becomes much better just from a virtual e-learning session. So, but I think packaged together with other um elements of, of training i think it, it, it's a valuable 
tool in a package of many tools that you can uh, in a toolbox of many tools that you can use to to upskill finance professionals and, and professionals in general it makes me think about um repetition so a lot of the learning that i've done in the past or have experience of it's it's very linear isn't it so you start at point a and then it's, it's almost like a game isn't it you get your points you move on to your next module and then the the box is ticked but it misses that gap of being able to emphasize and really internalize that message so i think i think you're absolutely right you know so uh, no that's that's excellent so you mentioned competency competency frameworks when you are having discussions with businesses about what makes a good finance partner and and that that training side of things and without giving away what your competency framework is, right? Because obviously it's, it's the reason you do what you do. But what do you see as skills? Um, I mean, what, what do you see as, a, as, a, as skills in a, in a good business partner, I guess? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, and to be quite frank, I, I, I really believe in, in sharing. So, and so, so we don't, uh, at least at, at Business Partnering Institute, we, we don't uh, we don't believe in you know sitting too much on our on our intellectual property. So we so we, we share quite a lot on, on LinkedIn about this as well. So so we've built and and really refined by now a model uh, surrounded by um, supporting what we call the impact equation, believing that finance professionals, finance business partners in particular, should create impact for for the business they're supporting by creating better business results by having satisfied business customers. So impact is, 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 is the goal. But the way we do, we, we do that is an equation where it's basically insights times influence. And insights is you know, what we typically do as finance people. That's where we derive new perspectives from data analysis and all the stuff that we're really good at as finance people. But as I mentioned earlier, those insights are worth very little if we are not able to influence anybody in the business to take action based on the insights. So we have this balance between in insights on one side, but also the ability to influence people to act on those insights. And that, you know, those two elements, that is what, uh, what equates to impact, if you will. And, and our competency model actually builds on that. So under each of the elements, insights and influence, we've built a comprehensive um, 12, 12th uh, skill competency model, if you will. Under the insights piece, we have uh, some technical abilities around data analysis and, and stuff like that. But we, and we have, but we also have some business insights to really do, you know, derive relevant insights. You need to understand the business model. You need to have kind of an idea about strategy and how, how strategy works, um, stuff like that. But on the influence side, on the other hand, that's more the, the I, I don't like to call it soft skills, but the people skills. Um, and that's where we, we have both, you know, influencing skills, partnering skills. It's all about communication, but also a little bit about self-leadership and team leadership. Even without, you know, the formal authority, you need to have some leadership skills in order to drive things forward and make change happen as a finance business partner. So, so those are some of the things, but, you know, the key point is you need to be both able to derive insights and influence stakeholders to actually make something happen. That makes sense. And coming back to what you said right at the very beginning, you, you started life as, a, as, a, as, a, as an introvert, a bit of an introvert, right? Definitely. And some might argue that the ability to influence as an introvert 
can be a bit difficult for some people. So when you look at your training, is is influence a, a difficult skill to to train on, or is it is it simpler than people might think, especially if they consider themselves an introvert? That's a that's a great question, and uh, knowing the finance community, most are more like me than uh, so 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 it's not. Uh, it's it's something we we sometimes struggle with as finance professionals. I'm not I am generalizing a little bit here, but um, but if you were to sort of balance, and I've done this survey many times, people tend to struggle more with the influencing piece than the insights piece as finance professionals. Yes. Uh, so so um, but but I uh, I truly and honestly believe that you can train that just as much as you can train being better at data analysis. It's yeah. just a matter of doing it and knowing what to do. So it is quite easily. You can actually strengthen your EQ as well as your IQ. You know, it's 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 it shouldn't be a, a bad excuse for not going into to that space. And and you know, I'm a good example of it. I'm you know standing in front of hundreds of people giving speeches about this today, even though I really enjoy sitting behind my screen, diving into my Excel sheets or my data models or whatever, you know, you, you can do it. It's a, but it's, you need to find, you know, a balance because I, I, I regain my energy from being alone and being focused in studying stuff, but I can go out of, out of that comfort zone sometimes and, and go. And when I know that I need to go and influence people, I'll do that, but I'll give myself adequate time to recoup afterwards, if you will. So yeah. I think that's a, an, an important point. And I'm absolutely the same. So I am very happy on my own getting on with it. And I can't remember what I was listening to, but when people summarized energy and the concept of introvert, extrovert, I think the best example I got given was if you go to a party, the introvert would very quickly lose energy levels mm -hmm. because they don't do well with having to manage conversations between multiple people. You know, it is energy sapping. Whereas an extrovert, they thrive on it. So it's the inverse. Yeah. So, so the extrovert soaks up the, it doesn't mean that as an introvert, you don't like other people, but mm -hmm. as you say, it's about the way that you reset and you regain that energy. Right. I think um, that's a brilliant point. Yeah. But but no, it's it's great. And and if you can if you can train people, especially on the, the EQ side when it comes to to that influence piece, then then I think that's a really good, really good area to focus on. Yeah, and, and, and I I totally agree. And and I I'm quite keen on the concept of storytelling as well. And and you're nodding your head there. But another conversation that I had said that one of the arts, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, especially with finance teams that are very data-driven, is the ability to communicate that data to non-finance professionals. So we're in the same territory there, right? But to, to tell that story and to get that data across, you, you do need to have those influential skills within the organization. I think it's, yeah, definitely it's, it's, it's such an important skill, like being being the, the good data storyteller is, is at the core of a finance business partner to me. So I fully agree. But the, the, the thing is, being a, a little more introverted 
sometimes combined with a, a, a bit more de detail orientation, if you will, is sometimes really good when it comes to this because you're a bit more aware of the words you use, the story you tell. So you might be, you know, uh, you might put more emphasis to, 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 to the way you present your things. If you're, you know, extroverted and you love talking to people, you might use a lot of words and it might not always be the, be the best way to present your data. So I think there is a, a definite space where good, state, a good, good data storytelling and introversion kind of overlaps because some of the, uh, so you, you can easily be a good data storyteller without being the most extroverted person, definitely. Absolutely, because any story you tell, especially when it comes to making important business decisions, has to be well-founded. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying all extroverts have a have a tendency just to blurt out gut feel and information that's not accurate. But I think you're completely right. If you do have that good combination of balance and storytelling, not only are you able to get the point across, but you know, because you've done your research and you know it's founded on accurate yeah. data, that the story you're telling is true, as opposed to just something that's based on gut feel. Agreed, and it is definitely, and that's essentially the core of that impact equation I talked about. Knowing your insights, having done your analysis, having that foundation balanced with the ability to influence through good data storytelling and and the ability to create, you know, trusted partnerships and good relations with the business. You know, so that balance is is exactly what you're talking into here, and so I, I, I really believe in that. Thank you. So moving on a little bit then, and, and again, feel free to, to correct me if I'm wrong, but the concept of the finance business partner, I'm seeing, to me, it's building more momentum now. So when you go back five, 10 years ago, you know, when, when I, you know, sort of start, started, started work, you know, speaking with finance teams and, and that sort of stuff, it wasn't a role that we would come across very often. But I think, and I don't know whether it's because we've now got systems that give us better data to the point where we've got people that can be more partners to the business. Um, so it'd be good to, to get your view on that. Why do you think that there is more presence and more recognition of finance business partners now compared to where we were five to 10 years ago? I think that's a, a really great question. I think I, I recently... Uh read an article that said that the first article ever that came out talking about the move from bean counter to business partner was already back in 85 or something, the same year as Windows launched its first Windows 1.0 and the first .com web page yeah. was launched, right? So a long time ago, so we have been talking about this for more than five and 10 years. We've been talking about this for 40 years to some extent, right? And we still see articles uh, you know, boosting that idea of going from from being counter to business partner. But I do agree that within the last five and 10 years, it has seen some kind of exponential growth and finance business partnering is more and more a concrete concept and in, and often also a concrete role in many, in many companies hmm. where business partnering was more sort of a mindset, something that everybody in finance did on, did on top of their normal jobs earlier. So, but you, you do see more designated finance business partner jobs today. I'm not saying that all of them actually do what I believe to be finance business partnering, but, um, but the, the title is be becoming much more prominent. And I think, you know, I think the idea, 
even if it's old, it's still very valid and it, it's just becoming more and more important. And as you say, as AI, machine learning, robotics, RPA, whatever, helps us automate a lot of the things that we would manually do in finance, it frees up time to do the, the data exp- extrapolation, the analysis, the finding the right insights, but it should also hopefully give us time to actually go and talk to the business, understand their needs, be able to present and tell that story behind the numbers. So, yeah, it's it's partially driven driven by the uh, the technology technological advances, but it's I think it's also a matter of of businesses starting to recognize that, that finance is sitting on such a vast amount of information that it's uh, it's it's a strategic advantage to have finance business partners that can help you because they literally know stuff about the business that that nobody else does. So, so yeah. Absolutely right. And so sometimes finance can be the underdogs in the organization, especially the way that they are perceived to the wider business. You know, oh you 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 pay the salaries, you know, you 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 sort the expenses, you know. But a lot of people don't appreciate it is a lot a lot more than that. And going going back to your point about the emergence of the role of the finance business partner. I think I'd be inclined to agree that a long time ago, maybe it was just assumed that that business partnering was included in the role of senior mm. finance individual. Mm. But maybe it's now, it, it's not that it didn't exist before, it's the fact that we are now giving it more of a label. You know, we are, we are actively going out and saying, as opposed to finding a senior finance individual who could also be a business partner, we're now saying this is a specific role that we want to fulfill. We, we have the tools, we have the data, we need somebody to come in, take that and tell the story about what that means to the business. So I think that's fair. And I think another aspect is that previously the CFO, you know, the top finance people in an organization, they have all, always to some extent acted as finance business partners to the CEO and other, other parts of the business. But it seems like the, that role is, is kind of cascading down through the hierarchy. So you see finance business partners at, at more or less all levels uh, of the organization now as well. So, so, so I think we talk about thinking like the CFO or thinking like the CEO sometimes actually taking responsibility for the entire business. And that's, that's part of business partnering as well. So it's cascading down through the finance organization, I believe. Great. So we've talked a bit about data storytelling so from your experience what what do you class as good data what sort of data do you think is useful to a finance business partner um i think that's a really good question because i i often see finance people getting a little bit too focused on what's available in the system you know so if i can extract it from the erp then you know that's good but um but i I believe in a more holistic approach, if you will. So, so often, if the, it, it's like you know, if you have a, a hammer, everything everything looks like a nail. Is is that the saying? Like you, you know, so if if somebody comes and asks you some something in the from some point of the business, they have an issue, they want you to help them. Then you go to the tool you have available and extract some data from there, even though that data might not be fit for purpose. So, um, so. So in that regard, I think finance business partnering is about also being able to think outside of the data structures that we actually have. So sometimes just 
run your own little experiments, gather some data, maybe do a survey, like and even sometimes go and interview people instead and, and, and gather some qualitative data rather than just your quantitative data from the systems. Um, I, 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 I'm astounded how, how, how little finance people do this. Why don't we go and ask people, like do, do interviews and do questionnaires and actually gather insights from the business by interviewing people instead of just looking at the numbers, if you will, in the system. So, so I think we need to take a little bit of a more holistic approach to, to data and data sources uh, if we want to become really good finance business partners. I think that's a really good point. And, and I love the analogy, if you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But yeah, I think systems and data are there, well, for a purpose. And as you say, it's important not to get into the trap of saying, because this is the data that I have access to, this is the only data that I have. Because you're almost self-limiting. Yeah. And coming back to your point there about, I see it as the distinction between financial and non-financial data mm-hmm. in, in building that holistic view. And, and to use a very, very simple example, um, I've worked with companies in the past that are very people focused, right? So, so their main expense is, I mean, it's the same in most organizations, right? The main expense is, is the staff, but when you sell services, that's even more so, right? Um, so non-financial data could be stuff that is as simple as, right, well, how many employees have we got? Yeah. How many contractors are we using? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's not data that you would think, I mean, maybe sometimes you would, but if you're just looking at financial data, you might not think, right, well, how do we, how do we compare that against the, the non-financial data that could be useful to us? You know, um, how many site installations have we got for a certain product or service? I think that's a great, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're entirely correct. And in the end, what you're trying to do is to solve a business problem. Somebody from the business has an, a problem that you're trying to solve. That's at least the goal as a finance business partner. So you shouldn't get bogged down by what's in your system. You need to figure out what do I need to know? What would have to be true for this, uh, for, for me to solve this problem, if you will? Or in, so, so I think it's important to, yeah, really focus on, on not getting you know, getting too stuck about stuck with the with the data you have available, but think about what data would I need in order to solve this problem. So. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, so what what decisions do we need to make? Forgetting about data, exactly. What would be useful to us as a business to be able to track? Let's backfill, as opposed exactly. to yeah. work with what we've got. Yeah, it's, it's I mean cheesy term, but bigger picture thinking, right? Yeah, exactly. How how do we essentially put put ourselves in the future? And I had a discussion about this on my last podcast when we were talking about automation and not being stuck within your current workflow. Actually, thinking about what that future needs to be, and then working back from there. So I think it's a it's a very valid, very valid point. Start with the problem you're trying to solve, the decision you you need to make, um, and then go back from there rather than start with data. Right. So. Um, so we are teaching a lot of classes on, on structured problem solving and being more clear on what is it that we're trying to solve and, and spending adequate time with your business stakeholders before you start your analysis, you know, getting, getting to the point where you fully understand the problem you're trying to solve, scope it, you know, 
because when you know your problem, your analysis becomes so much easier. Otherwise, you'll end up spending so much time trying to solve something that you don't really understand. Mm. So, uh, so that that point of really, you know, understand the problem you're trying to solve in a at a at a, at a comprehensive level. Uh, do that root cause analysis and all of that before you start, uh, before you even open your Excel sheet or whatever data source you you might look into. So, yeah, yeah, and again, that ties back into the point that you raised earlier about influence because you could spend hours and hours at your desk as you say filtering through spreadsheets and trying to find trends and so on and so forth but if you've not had a wider conversation with the business you know if you if you haven't gained the perspective of of other team members then you're almost having to mind read you're almost having to to guess what other people are wanting to see whereas sometimes it's simpler just to ask the question yeah, exactly. I've often spent hours and hours and days and days as a young consultant building elaborate financial models. And I thought that I had done something amazing and my VBA code was was glorious. But uh, but when I showed it to the to the stakeholder, a lot of things were not what they anticipated. And I would have to go back and redo a lot of stuff. So I could have skipped a lot of work hours. I saved a lot of time by by just asking the right questions early on in the process. But yeah. that's how you learn, right? But uh, so I, I know, I know from experience. Yeah, very good, very good. So we've we've mentioned Excel a couple of times there, and and I know, I mean, everybody loves a, a good Excel spreadsheet, right? You know, despite what people say about trying to get rid of spreadsheets, I think that there is a time and a place, and sometimes it can be a, a very useful. So I mean, Excel, Google Sheets, a spreadsheet, right? That's that's what yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I know that. You, you, you guys are really good at sharing the the tips and tricks side of things on, you know, on on LinkedIn. You know, so there's there's um, I, I love the ones that you know that oh, did you know about this shortcut and you know mm-hmm. well, and that sort of stuff because it's it makes you smile and it's it's good to good to get stuck into. Where where do you think the place is for Excel and spreadsheets? Do you still see a lot of it, or do you see the do you see finance moving now more towards business intelligence and predictive analytics? What What's the lay of the land from, from your perspective on those sorts of data gathering and sort of data analysis tools? I think if you asked me five years ago, I would have said that we would have been further towards automation and, 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 and new systems than we are. In my experience, I see... Excel everywhere still. It's still a tool that's being used by finance professionals or Google Sheets for that matter, spreadsheets mm-hmm. in general. And I don't think we'll get rid of that uh, anytime soon. But it's also a matter of using it correctly because we do. You can't do. You can't use Excel as a database very well. Like it, it's it's not meant for that. Just mm-hmm. one example. So so and and some models are getting too complicated and it's impossible to you to make sure that you you kind of make sure that everything is up to date and up to speed so i think we need to use it wisely and use it for the for the things that make sense for us to do a little bit maybe back of the envelope uh, analysis and all of that but if it's for for monthly reporting things that are recurring definitely try to get it automated there are so many good tools out there I've had conversations and I've seen what the new 
Oracle, SAP, all of those solutions. There are so many out there. They they do so much. It's 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 amazing how they can do with what they can do with AI and machine learning today in terms of explaining variance variances as an example. And it's not just highlighting. Here is a variance. It's literally like text based. Uh, explanations on on what the reason behind it might be. It's very advanced today, so we are seeing that move, and it's definitely happening. So 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 we need to get on that wagon, but uh, but uh, and, and and you know like go with that. But but I I don't see spreadsheets being eliminated entirely for a long time. To be quite honest, yeah. So we're, what we're there, what we're talking about there is is strategic use of a tool rather than building our working life around it. Yeah. Aren't we? And we've spoken about some concepts that, you know, AI machine learning, the concept of wider ERPs. Some people sometimes get a bit scared. I mean, yeah, you know, for, for larger businesses that have got endless budget, it's a, it's a little bit easier because they, they can, they can justify the investment in some instances. Um, but what we're now finding as well is that there's there's now smaller businesses that are being able to get on mm. because the the cost of ownership is is coming down. You know, every, everything's in the cloud now. You know, I, when you look at something simple like Zero, for example, you know, it will it will grab purchase invoices so that you don't have to manually key them. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't, you know, I don't have any affiliations with Zero. It's just an it's just an example. It's the same for stuff like um, bank account reconciliations. Yeah matching rules you know instead of having to manually key this matches with this invoice just have a have a system do it for you you don't need to to do that in a spreadsheet so i think that's a valid point um i mean my, my background software so i'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because we'd be here forever um but yeah, yeah so in summary right. there's there's still a place for it but we want to start looking at the tools that we have our disposal strategically. So for this type of activity, this could be an Excel, for this type of activity, it could be an ERP, yeah, for this yeah. type of activity, it could be uh, a dashboard, something like a Power BI or a Click or something like mm -hmm. that. So yeah, no, I think I think that's a valid, valid point. But coming back to your work, so you've explained a little bit about what you do, um, your um, equation when it comes to you know influence. Um, Talk a little bit more around that. So, so when you work with finance teams, where do you tend to start, and what what are your hopes for where you then leave them when the work is finished? So, what do you often see as reasons that you get involved, and yeah. then what is the outcome that you're working towards during your work with finance business partners? Yeah, I am. Um, you know, the reason why I am in this space, which is very, you know the people space of finance, if you will, is because we we actually believe there is kind of a uh, a market gap there to some extent. You have a lot of consultancies and external vendors working in the tech space. A lot of people are also pretty good at process optimization. Um, so 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 you, you you know, but it's it's like we tend to invest a lot in big fancy systems, implement, implementing systems. We try to optimize our processes, but we, we're not always good enough as finance functions to upskill and make sure that our people are on board in, in the transformation that is happening. So, and, and that digital transformation is important, but it, it won't succeed without having the people on board. So, so that's where we have a, uh, 
a role to play. We do partner with both uh, Deloitte and other uh, big uh, consultancies, and they often go in and help with uh, you know implementing a new ERP system or a planning budgeting tool, whatever. But then you know when it comes to actually upskilling the people and making sure people are you know ready for the change that's happening, and a lot of changes are happening, then then that's where we get involved. So so we. So we very much focus on the, the people side and the organizational structure as well. So, so we, we tend to actually start often to talk about the service delivery model of a finance function, because if you're bucked back down by manual tasks, it's hard to actually free up time to be a good finance business partner. That's a very common, common issue. So we, we often need to look at the finance function more holistically and say who does what. And, and, and agree on roles and responsibilities before we can, we can really, you know, start working with people. So, so, so that's often where we start. But then we often end with a clearer picture of roles and responsibilities, roles, uh, meaning finance. If you're, you might have finance business partners, you might have FP&A, you might have accountants, you might have different controllers, you know. But, but getting, getting to that point, knowing who does what, and then we can start you know, upskilling people, making sure that everybody doesn't need to know the same, you know, it, it depends on the role you have. And then we customize our learning journeys based on the needs of, of, of the different teams that we're working with. And that's an interesting point as well. And again, it ties to some recent conversations I've had because when, when you look at the, the modern workplace, everybody's so busy, everybody's doing the jobs of, three or four different people in 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 some instances so from the work you do how often do you see that you've got and and we won't give them a label just say a senior finance professional that actually has multiple roles is it is it quite common that you need to actually be quite quite straightforward and say right well at the moment you're trying to do the jobs of three or four people so why don't you just focus on this because you're really good at that? How, how often do you see that sort of thing? But I, I see that quite quite often. Um, and to be quite frank, I don't think it works. I don't think it's an, an effective way of working. So uh, especially in large organizations, you need to have a operating model and a service delivery model and a finance function that that divides the responsibilities, uh, obviously. And, and I, I do often see people being, you know, uh, doing month and close, but also wanting to go and be business partners, and it, it's it's it, it, it's it's good to have. You need to have your foundation in place as a finance business partner. So you need to you know be in the numbers and know the numbers and all of that. But uh, but again, you, you can't both you know do reconciliations and uh, debit credit and then be be you know out there influencing the business. So I, I truly believe that. As a CFO, you need to build an organization that has, you know, clearer role descriptions. And I, I, unfortunately, I do often see organizations that don't have that clear an understanding of who does what. And, and um, they might have the roles, but they do things that are maybe related to other roles as well. So, so And it does confuse people in terms of roles and responsibilities. And often the business stakeholders... Who you try, whom you're trying to support, they get confused because am I supposed to talk to this person or that person who's my one point of contact? And, and we often talk about like having almost a key account manager set up in finance. So if 
the business needs help, they go to their key account manager, their finance business partner, and they know that that person can then, you know, rely on his his organization to help solve their problems. So because otherwise, if you don't know who to talk to in finance, because you talk to somebody else, uh, somebody new every time, you end up not asking maybe. And that's that's a shame, right? So that's that's an interesting point as well, actually, especially in larger organizations. You know, for, for this division of the business, who, who do we actually need to speak to? Yeah. And, and that's that's an interesting concept, you know, a key, a key account finance manager, you know. Yeah. We, yeah, I like that. We do talk a lot about the analogies to, 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 to sales and customer interactions when mm-hmm. we talk finance business partnering. Key account management is obviously also is something that derives from, comes from, from sales. But, but it is, you know, in my opinion, if you're a, a good finance business partner, you do have customers. They're internal customers. It's people in the business, but you're servicing them. You're providing a product and then a service to them. So you need to see them that way and you need to understand the needs of your customers in the same way. So we often also uh, introduce a net promoter score almost, you know, so a finance net promoter score. So yeah. ask people in the business, are you happy with what we're doing? Get some feedback. It, it, do you want to recommend our services to, to somebody else, you know, and maybe not a net promoter score per se, but getting that continuous feedback from your customers in the business to actually know whether or not you're, you're, you're on target and, and you can adjust based on that. And it opens up the dialogue around how do I support you best as, as your finance business partner. So we do use a lot of those sales analogies actually uh, in, in some, in, in some companies. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Because when, when you look at fundamental human psychology, people live in their own world. It's, it's a fact, you know, and it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's just how it is. You know, we, we live in our minds. You know, we, we see the world according to ourselves. Yeah. And it comes back to your point earlier about asking questions under the, the influence piece. You know, you, you're not a mind reader, you can't always guess what is useful to other parts of the business. So, and, and yeah, maybe it's nice to have a formal process. I mean, you mentioned the concept of net promoter score there, which, which I think is fabulous, but even if there isn't a defined process, there's nothing wrong with you asking the question, you know, is this useful to you? How did I do? You know, and it might just be a message on teams, you know, or, or, or Slack or, or, you know, whatever communication tool you're using. Um, but I think that's a really, I think that's a really valid point. That's because a, that's a, that's the least you can do. Like literally, like I, I, I'm not asking all finance people to get the quantitative surveys uh, from from all of their stakeholders. But like, if you're servicing somebody in the business, and everybody in finance is indirectly supporting somebody in the value chain, that's what we do. You know, at least have quarterly meetings where you reflect on your collaboration and ask for feedback on, on, on how you can do better. That's the least you can do, I, I think. And, and maybe even more frequently than that, the, the best business partners I've seen in finance, they, they're so close to their stakeholders that they have dialogues like that on a weekly basis, almost on, on how, do, how do we work together the best possible way. So, um, yeah. so I think that's important. Remember that you have customers that you're serving and, and, and your success depends on their success, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it reminds me of a few conversations that I've been having recently around curiosity. Yeah. Because 
we now we now live in a world i mean it, it's great we can work from anywhere you know like like here you know you're in uh, i'm assuming you're in copenhagen at the moment right yeah um i'm here in the the, the middle of england manchester at the moment you know and we're, we're having a conversation as though we were almost sat next to each other even though it's on a, on a screen right but when we start moving into a world of ones and zeros that can sometimes limit our ability to have true human to human connections so the reason I, I talk about curiosity is a lot of the time when somebody's speaking, you'll be then thinking about what your reply is going to be. You know, and again, that's part of human nature as well. How can I contribute? How can I continue this conversation? Whereas if you foster that curiosity element, instead of speaking, first think about what that person has said and do you need to delve a little bit deeper? So so in, in your scenario, you know, somebody from a from another team's asking you a question or can you can you give me this report or can you tell me a little bit more about how, how we're doing here instead of going away straight away and you know going into your spreadsheet or downloading a report from your erp or what what have you there could be a pause when you then think actually what's why are they asking me this question yes exactly you know what do i need to delve a little bit deeper here definitely you know because then that as you say coming back to how useful you then are to the wider business if you are becoming more curious to the point where you are able to be a better problem solver then then you're you're going to continue to to improve the value that you're you're generating to the business right i i, I think you're making some really really good points there because Nine out of ten times, when somebody, uh, somebody from the business asks some some something of finance, it's they're asking for for data, then they're asking for input, but they're not conveying the problem they're trying to solve. So somebody's asking you for data, but that data doesn't tell the finance person anything about what is the actual problem you're trying to solve. You're, you're using this data to extract some information that you need. So if you don't ask those questions upfront how will you help yeah you can you can extract the data and just you know give it to them but you know you might help them much better if you actually spend that time asking the right questions getting to the bottom of what is the issue or the problem or what is it that you're trying to understand better and the problem you're trying to solve before just diving into you know yeah i'll, I'll give you the data like so ask more questions i'm i'm teaching a course about real conversations uh, in between finance and business, and it's 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 that balance between inquiry and advocacy. So it's about are we good enough at inquiring and asking all the questions, or are we just telling and advocating, uh, providing our answers? And and very often, especially if you want people to buy into an idea, asking the questions, getting them to realize the same points as you might be able to tell them. It's much more effective. That makes the ideas their own, and they are much more likely to act on it that way. So, so it's you know, ask ask more than you tell. Basically, is is, is just very important as a finance business. But we tend to believe that we are here to only advocate. We're here to provide answers, but it's not the case. We're also here to help the business understand what what they're trying to on their problems better. So it's it's. It's a it's a mistake if we think that we also always need to have the answers because we should be we should be asking more questions than providing answers in in many cases actually. Yes, no, I, I to totally agree. You know, it's and and it comes back to what you're saying about root cause analysis. 
yeah. yeah the, the the more curious you can be the more you can uncover the the thought process that's gone into asking that question the better you're able to advise and often it saves you a lot of time because if you yes. spend that time up front understanding the question uh, to 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 deep deep enough level it becomes relatively easy to 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 you know to solve it's the classical einstein quote that if you had an hour to to solve a problem you would spend 55 minutes you know, uh, asking questions and trying to understand the uh, understand the problem, because when he knows the problem deep enough, like you only need five minutes to solve it, because then the uh, the solution is obvious, right? So, so the being explorative and staying explorative longer is a really good advice, I, I believe. So, yeah, well, it definitely saves the emails backwards and forwards, right? Send me yeah. this report. Oh, sorry, can I have that with this? Oh, can I have that with this instead? Yeah. 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 We all know that, and. We, do we ever stop to ask why do you need this? What what's what are you really trying to solve here? So very good, very good. So I'm I'm conscious we've we've not got um, all the time in the world today. So I'm I'm thinking about from my list of questions um, where where I go next. Um, okay, so so I, I suppose useful for people. So have you got any resources that you tend to rely on? You know, for people that are thinking about developing business partner skills obviously they can come to you you know and, and and have that conversation right but when you look at the the sort of knowledge bases and the, the areas where you point people towards if they are thinking more seriously about how they become a better business partner are there any resources that you'd recommend yeah i think you know, if you're if you're at the start of your journey you know get the foundations right and you know be you need as a as a finance professional to be good with data and analysis so so start there but but really quickly move into to work that that also you know forces you to build your people skills and 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 work on that so uh so i think you know don't 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 only read the articles about data modeling also read the articles about how you build trusted relationships and how to become a better leader it it, it will help you down the line so um so I think there is a lot of good resources out there that you can use. Um, I particularly use the APQC benchmarking, um, you know, uh, as a as a source of knowledge. They have much more than just benchmarks. So I think that's pretty good. And all the, but I also think the classical uh, Harvard Business Review articles about uh, leadership and 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 how how to influence people. Those are very valid uh, points. And so so I would. I'm following that intensely as well as a, as a, so, so those are not your average finance resources necessarily. It's more about being, being a good leader, being a good professional, if, if you will. So. No, that's a fair point as well. Yeah, that's a fair point. And if, if you were to cast an eye to, to the future and it doesn't specifically have to relate to finance business partners, it could just relate to finance or even business in general. Mm-hmm. How, and you might not be able to say, but how do you predict roles are likely to evolve? How do you think this space is going to evolve in, into the future? I, 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 um, I think we keep saying that everything will change a lot and, hmm. and it, it hasn't felt like that to, 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 a, to a lot of people. But, you know, research does still show that you know, 50% of current jobs will be eliminated entirely within the next 20 years. And, and 85% of jobs in just 10 years 
might not even exist today. Mm-hmm. So, so things are changing up rapidly and our roles are changing a lot. And I, I, I know it's cliche, but it, it is happening. It, it definitely is. And I do see, uh, we talked about all the, the tech here as well, AI, RPA, machine learning, et cetera. I do see some quantum leaps happening pretty soon. Like it is an exponential growth. So, so people said, said that we'll be automated 10 years ago. It didn't happen. That doesn't mean it won't happen in the next 10 years. I, yeah. I, I honestly see a lot of, of jobs changing significantly due to some quantum leaps in, in, in technology soon. So, so, and especially in finance functions, some of the manual stuff, if you're still you know, doing manual work, you need to upskill because it will be automated. I, it's, it's as, it's, it is as, as easy as, as that, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So, so I do, do see quite a lot of, of, of changes happening. I, I was talking about maybe accountants being the, the first digital refugees because we're the classical accountant role will change a lot. Uh, at least that's predicted by, by studies after study at the moment. So, um, Let's see, but I do see a lot of changes happening due to primarily the, the advances in tech. Yeah, and I think you're you're right to focus on the upskilling. Yeah. When I look at this, I think in terms of repurposing rather than replacing. Definitely. Yeah. I I think I think roles will disappear, but I don't necessarily think that's that people will may be made redundant or get fired. You know, but that moving into the future, there, I I believe there won't be a role for stuff like you know uh, an expense admin, for example, you know, or or or, or an AP administrator, you know, that those roles will just cease to exist because every system will will offer it, which then gives people the opportunity to to really drive business forward, yeah, because you have the skills to take what the systems are doing and as we've discussed earlier tell the story you know and then and then identify ways that you know how how as a business can we break into new markets you know how how can we di- diversify you know there's no harm in having more people thinking more strategically no, that's definitely that's just my view anyway yeah so that that's also where i see like people will not necessarily be fired and a lot of the people sitting in, in ro- those roles they have a great foundation and a lot of skills it's just a matter of adding maybe a little more uh, some skills related to to being more strategic, maybe being a little more you know uh, you know thinking more holistically about the business rather than just the finance function. So yeah. I think uh, everybody needs to think about how they can you know expand what they're what what they already have with with new skills as well. But that's that's modern business life, I believe, for everybody almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, very good. So, so this podcast called Tech for Finance. Um, so, so the the question I'm getting in the habit of asking is, and it doesn't need to relate to work. It could be in your personal life. So, do you have an app on your phone, or a piece of software, or a piece of tech? And it doesn't even have to be software. It could be like a gadget, you know, yeah. that you couldn't live without. I think it's a it's a fun question. Um, no, but we actually. Uh, there is a small Danish company called Actimo. They were recently acquired by Kahoot, the, the bigger software company. And Actimo has a, an app uh, or they, they, they provide a, an app that you can customize. So I've developed a, a training app for the, uh, for the clients that I, that I work with. Uh, so we do all these physical and virtual training sessions, but we also then have an app where we can have a community. It's almost like a social media platform for training. 
and we can interact and 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 you know remind each other of how we the things we learn in training modules we can try that out in our daily work and and share with the team in there so it's 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 great to see how you can build a community in that app um virtually with people from all over the world who have a you know the common thing is they're part of a function they've been through some training together and then you know they they share their insights on on that platform in in a, in a community. So so I'm really happy with that at the moment. It's it's a lot of fun, and it's so closer I, to my clients as well. So anything that brings you closer to your clients is a big tick, eh? So so that's Act A C T I M O. Is that yeah. how it's spelled? Actimo. And and it's now owned by Kahoot. You said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's good. I mean, I've not heard of it before. No. You know, you learn something new every day, so I'll check exactly, it out. Yeah. Check it out for sure. But I'll put I'll put everything on the the show notes. Um, so it will be adamshilton.com forward slash finance business partner. It's the link that we use. Um, but to finish off, where can people find find out more about you, Christian? You know, uh, on social, on your website. Yeah. Where, where- I would uh, yeah, I would I would urge people to 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 follow me on LinkedIn. I do posts daily on in this phase in this space on CFO services and, and finance transformation. So uh, so please follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, otherwise we are at businesspartneringinstitute.org. So businesspartneringinstitute.org. Okay. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, I'm just going to get up your um, internet is so your LinkedIn eels linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash, forward slash France Hansen. So that's F-A-F-R-A-N-T-Z-H-A-N-S-E-N. So F-R-A-N-T-Z-H-A-N-S-E-N. So that's where people can check you out on LinkedIn. I'll post it in the chat, I think. Can you, if you can check if the, if the one in the chat is right. That's fine, yeah. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes too. So that's perfect. It's been a, an absolute pleasure speaking with you this morning, Christian um really appreciate your time and i think there's there's been some interesting things that i'll definitely be applying some more thought to that's that's for sure so um no excellent stuff well let's keep me up to date with what you're doing maybe at some point in the future we speak again hopefully yeah but but for now thanks ever so much for your time christian thank you so much adam this has been fun yeah great stuff see you later Bye.